Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Today, we'll be chatting with James Dean Levitt. He's a former regent and one of the people behind the UNLV Medical School. We're going to talk about that history and the controversy now engulfing UNLV. Reporter Michelle Rendells, who's been breaking news at UNLV since last week, is here to help me with the questions. And as always, we'll close with some to and fro on some issues of the day between myself and the managing editor of the Indy, Elizabeth Thompson. We'll talk about UNLV, a congressman defending his staffer's fit of peak, Danny Tarkanian's last-minute gambit, and much more. Let's get started first, though, with my recap of the week's headlines from the Nevada Independent. Speaking of UNLV, Len Jessup got a presidential pardon of sorts this week of the president, not by the president. That is, the regents and the chancellor postponed his departure by insisting he hire a financial person and submit to a public evaluation or flogging, perhaps. This seems temporary, and I doubt this is the last we've heard of this. Michelle, who had this story, will see to that. We broke news this week of Catherine Cortez Masto urging the new U.S. attorney to leave our pot businesses alone. Our man in D.C., Humberto Sanchez, got that one, as well as a story about how Congressman Mark Amaday is defending the First Amendment rights of a staffer who lamented an F-bomb on a phone call that then resulted in a high schooler's suspension. I kid you not. Big week for our Capitol correspondent. Megan Messerly got a hold of a poll that showed health care is important to voters and Democrats have an edge here in Nevada. Dean Heller's numbers are awful, but he's still within striking distance of Jackie Rosen. You should check out all those numbers on our site. Our long read this week is Daniel Rothberg's look at a Nye County water war. There's also a pimp involved. Believe it. Trust me. It's worth your time. Finally, did you know there was an election that started this week? Before you feel guilty about not knowing about it and forgetting to vote, you're not alone. But the special election in Las Vegas Ward 5, vacated when Ricky Barlow committed a federal crime and resigned, has been very quiet. Early voting started Thursday, and because we care, we have three illuminating pieces about the balloting on our site. One candidate is getting most of the money we discovered in a Latino-dominated district has no Hispanics running. Read all about it, courtesy of our super intern, Sonny Brown, and the ever-reliable Riley Snyder. There's a lot more to check out on the site, including our indie blog that has snippets of news you won't see anywhere else. That's thenevadaindependent.com. We'll be back in a moment with James Dean Levitt. We're back on Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent with our guest, James Dean Levitt. He's been a lawyer in Las Vegas for 25 years, and he was a regent up until 2016. He helped conceive of the idea for a medical school, and he still keeps his fingers in the UNLV pot. James Dean Levitt, welcome to Indie Matters. Thanks for having me. Michelle Rendells is here, too. Hi, Michelle. Hi, John. All right, let me start it off, and then uh, I'll let Michelle uh, grab uh, the, the reins here. So... It's pretty well known that you were one of the original brains behind getting a medical school here at UNLV. Uh, you did a lot of work as a regent to help that become a reality. But now there are all kinds of questions about the medical school. Is that budget number real? Now it's gone from $100 million to like $250 million. There are personnel changes over there. There's questions about the dean and, and the president tying uh, donor contracts uh, to their tenure. Do you feel like your dream has turned into a nightmare? Oh, look, I hope not. I hope this is a temporary blip. The UNLV uh, School of Medicine is, uh, is a vision that's been shared by so many. Uh, frankly, it's been in the decades of the making and be candid with you. I, I don't know that I stole an idea from uh, Jim Rogers, but I certainly uh, got a lot of my inspiration from Jim. Jan. Rogers, the late chancellor. The late chancellor. And in 05, when I came on the board, uh, Jim was talking about an academic uh, health sciences center. I mean, uh, he was a visionary in many regards. He recognized that, uh, that we had uh, just uh, outstanding needs here uh, in the Valley. And so uh, to be in a position to help uh, uh, shepherd uh, sort of a health science committee and then a medical school, it's been a great, uh, 
great honor and a lot of fun. Anybody who lives in Southern Nevada, uh, 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 Mr. Levitt, would, would, would say, listen, uh, uh, there's a medical school up in Reno, but we don't have one. Uh, and, and people will look at all the resources that have been poured into the Reno Medical School, uh, and the legislature has given it money, and it has a lot of allies. But then when you started this down here, you had to do private fundraising. This, the money wasn't just going to materialize. Maybe the support in the community just hasn't been there for this dream of yours. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's coming. And, uh, you know, you look at uh, Chris Engelstadt, you look at a lot of other uh, uh, donors that have contributed scholarship money right now, as you said. She wants to withdraw money now. Well, she you know what? Pledge, uh, and she said she's not going to give the money now that the, there's all this pressure on Len Jessup, the president, to leave. Yeah, you know what? Uh, this is one of her dreams, too. And uh, she shares it. And uh, I think she'll end up being uh, one of our uh, uh, substantial donors. She's, she's been there in the past. I expect to see that in the future. You know, there's been a lot of hurt feelings, and uh, sometimes uh, the passage of time helps with those things. But, uh, you know, this is much bigger than Len Jessup. It's much bigger than uh, uh, Tom Riley. It's much bigger than the system. I mean, this is uh, uh, a brand-new fledgling medical school. Uh, people can take a lot of pride in it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people who contributed to it. And I don't think uh, folks in Southern Nevada are going to give up uh, just because we've had this uh, blip the last two weeks. Uh, it's been uh, challenging, and it's been uh, concerning. But, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes things like this uh, in the long run. Sometimes they help because I think the community is going to rally together. Uh, and look, everyone wants great leadership from uh, UNLV, uh, certainly from the medical school. So I'm optimistic, but uh, the last two weeks, uh, certainly uh, the med school stock's been down. I'm going to let Michelle grab the reins in just a second here, but I just want to ask you one more thing in case people don't know Tom Riley, whom you mentioned, is the current chancellor of, of the university system. Just answer this question, basically. Since some people out there might be wondering why do we need a medical school down here? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, the UNR Medical School uh, was here for, uh, well, 1969, and a lot of folks don't know, but uh, folks would go up to UNR for the first two years. That's where they'd have their basic sciences. Then they'd come back here and do their clinicals, their rotations. That was obviously uh, very unsatisfactory for folks that were married. Uh, spouses would have jobs. You'd have to relocate here in two years. And then, of course, uh, Southern Nevada was never going to uh, be able to uh, contribute monies and uh, uh, contribute to a northern base. Uh, you know, medical school. Now, you know, some say uh, perhaps that's not the way it should be, but let's face it, right? We all love our, uh, uh, you know, our institutions uh, where we've come from. Uh, you know, we, look, if you're in Southern Nevada, you want to contribute money that's viewed as going to Southern Nevada. So the the UNR Medical School did a lot of good. I mean, it had a rural outreach mission uh, in its origin. It's now back there. I think it'll be more successful than it ever was. It was spread too thin. Uh, and again, uh, you know, they largely didn't live up to, uh, to the promise of delivering care. Uh, donations, building, all of those things are up in UNR. They've got a lot of pretty, uh, pretty buildings up there, and some of them have my name on them, but you don't see them down here. You know, it's just been in the past couple of days that the situation has sort of resolved itself with, with uh, the chancellor saying that there was um, no, you know, he was going to go through the review with President Jessup and, and Kevin Page, the chair of the regent, saying that uh, there was no desire to call a personnel session. Um, has this calmed down kind of the uh, distress among a lot of the donors that we were seeing, people talking about pulling out their donations? Look, I think there's been a temporary truce. I think uh, cooler heads have prevailed in the last 40 hours. I'm encouraged by that. I mean, in a perfect situation, you have a fully functioning, uh, uh, certainly chancellor's office. You have a full, fully functioning office at UNLV. Uh, certainly a Tom Riley's directive to, uh, to have a COO to address some of what he calls operational deficiencies. I think that's a good move. And so, uh, look, uh, you know, I'm bullish. I mean, uh, I feel much better than I did uh, 48 hours ago. And then, you know, that's a long time in the news. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think we'll get through this, but you know, there's real concerns that need to be addressed. And you know, when you talk about uh, uh, this situation, at the end of the day, uh, you know, President Jessup and all uh, of our uh, other seven institution pr uh, presidents, you know, they report to Tom Riley, and this is really largely a matter of those two. Now, certainly, the regions have been drawn into it. Individual regions have uh, you know expressed some strong opinions, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, this is really uh, really something, in my view, between the president and and, and before the chancellor. Um, I will tell you that uh, that Tom Riley's had his hand full because certainly there's been some on the board that uh, that have talked about a personnel session. Uh, I think Tom Riley, to his credit, has been successful uh, at holding off, uh, uh, you, you know, at bay. Uh, you know, I think the way to resolve these things uh, is professionally. I think it's behind closed doors. Uh, and certainly, uh, uh, you know, we do have a public evaluation process here in Nevada, uh, partly due to the open meeting law. And certainly uh, every president one year before the end of their uh, contract, whether it's three, four or five years, has that periodic eval. And so they're going to go through that process. 
And I think uh, I think the president should have every opportunity to address the concerns uh, that were outlined outlined by the chancellor. As a former regent, tell us a little bit about that uh, public review process. Um, you know, he, Tom Riley, phrased this as "We're going to go ahead and proceed with this." I want to warn you, sort of tone in that in that uh, in that statement he put out earlier this week. Yeah, what I don't know that there was any tone. I think he was just stating the uh, absolute uh, fact that we have a procedure in place, and it's rare that we ever depart from that. Uh, I'll tell you, there was a time in uh, uh, well, it was the it was the end of June of 2011, just uh, you know, weeks before. Or, uh, um, I took over as chairman of the board, and uh, David Ashley was having some challenging times, and uh, I met with David uh, on numerous occasions to see if we could broker a deal. Uh, my first meeting as chair was an eight-hour personnel session uh, with David Ashley, and I remember that like it was yesterday. Uh, that's not the way uh, that you want to perform uh, periodic evaluations. I'll tell you, most of these evaluations uh, are, are very positive uh, because the president's doing an outstanding job. Uh, it's, uh, it's a pleasure uh, to be able to talk about uh, your president when when they're doing uh, you know meeting expectations. So now when the evaluation perhaps uh, isn't expected to be so flattering, but until the legislature decides to allow an exception, uh, whether it's to uh, that procedure, and I'm not suggesting we should change that. Uh, I mean I think if you're tough enough to be a president, you should be able to handle uh, you know perhaps a, a periodic eval in public. Uh, I certainly understand the other side of it, but uh, you know we're living uh, we're in the Western United States. Uh, we believe in uh, transparency in government here. And, and I think any uh, efforts, whether it be ballot initiatives or, or things like that, to change the structure, to restrict the open meeting law, uh, I don't think they're going to be successful here. And this process involves the community. It involves talking to stakeholders, right? I mean, it's a, it's a drawn out. Well, it's process. drawn out. And, but look, the process, if it works right, is designed to, it's an educational piece, right? It's to help the president succeed. I mean, that's why we have these evals. They're not to be public flockings. They're, say, they're to say, hey, these are things that you've done well, not so much here, and these are things that need immediate correction. And, and then when you hear from the community, keep in mind, this is a public university. And so, uh, you know, the hallmark of higher ed, of course, is shared governance. Now, that uh, shared governance, uh, you know, that was uh, that was a difficult concept for, uh, for Chancellor uh, Rogers and for folks that are used to <laughs> making uh, quick decisions. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the university, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes process is almost more important than the outcome. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe we need to do something, uh, you know, maybe in the middle. So, but these are an opportunity, right? Uh, you, you know, if I'm, if I'm being evaluated in public, right, I'm looking for an opportunity to hear from uh, the stakeholders, what can I do to be a better president? I mean, you've got all these well-meaning folks that want you to succeed. And sometimes we forget about that, right? These aren't to flog people. These are to make them better, right? We're paying a lot of money, and we expect a lot, and the taxpayer deserves it. President Jessup uh, put out a public statement of the UNLV community and said that the governance makes it hard for a president to stay very long at all. Um, and then donor Chris Engelstad spoke to us, said she thinks, you know, the the regent's process is flawed. Um, you know, it's it's too public. Um, do you share that opinion that there's something wrong with the way we're doing things and it's driving people away? Look, you can always improve processes, but let's face it, a lot of this is up to the legislature, right? I mean, they need to look at, you know, how they think this system should be structured. I mean, we have the constitutional autonomy of the Board of Regents, and outside a ballot initiative, there's only so much the legislature can do. But I will tell you, and to uh, the gang of 63, uh, maybe three or four are listening right now, but if we want to evaluate whether things should be appointed, uh, let's start with the legislature, right? And then let's look at the governor. Let's look at the constitutional offices, right? Let's look at the Board of Regents, too. Let's look at judges. But let's not look at the regents in a vacuum. Let's look. Let's have a serious policy discussion. And why not take the lead, legislature? You're the folks that make the law. So take the lead. Look at yourselves first. But let's get to the Board of Regents at some point, too. You want the legislature to appoint the governor? Is that, uh, is that what you're I saying here? I want the here? legislature. I'm, I'm, missing, yeah. I'm missing something yeah. here. Uh, I think the legislature, if they want to really look <laughs> I, I at – No, look at governance, right? I mean, look. Look at the uh, experiment that we're having, uh, you know, the American experiment, right? I mean, 1776 is pretty new, right? But I'm saying – uh, How's it working out right now? Yeah, look. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, let's, let's, let's get back on the topic, though. I, re I really do, because you said a lot of interesting things in, in, in uh, reaction to, to Michelle's questions. But let's, let's get the facts out on the table before we go to a couple of things that you said. 
Len Jessup, the president of UNLV, uh, essentially, as you just said, some of the members of the Board of Regents wanted a personnel session. They're not happy with the job he's doing, problems at the dental school, problems at the medical school, wh wh whatever else is going on. Tom Riley, and I want you to correct me if any of this is wrong. Tom Riley said, whoa, I'm the boss. You instructed me to, 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 to be the boss. I am going to take care of this. Essentially uh, tells Jessup, I'm not satisfied with your performance. There was this contract that was signed with Chris Engelstad that apparently wasn't vetted by an attorney that was essentially, I'll give you the money if, if, if Len Jessup and Barbara Atkinson, the dean of the, of the medical school, can stay through, I think, 2022, if I have uh, the date correct. And Riley told him, I'll be nice. Go find another job and I won't fire you, but you better find another job. Set a finite time limit. And then, as Michelle reported and just said, that was all pulled back and, and, and the waters uh, were calm. That's what happened, correct? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that's a fair characterization of how this has played out the last few weeks. And and so what, let, let's talk then about what, what happens next. You mentioned this evaluation. Michelle mentioned the evaluation. What should a president of a university be evaluated on? How do you judge whether he's doing a good job? Yeah, look, I mean, we, uh, at the very beginning, I mean, the board has to set expectations, uh, both for the chancellor and the president. If you want someone to succeed, you better be uh, really, really clear as to what those expectations are. And then you got to figure out a way to measure those, right? And so, uh, you know, the, certainly the objectives for each president are slightly different. You know, the institutions all have separate missions, but, uh, you know, huge, huge responsibility you know, being the UNLV president. I mean, we have the most number of students. We're in the largest uh, population area. Um, you know, we've got the medical school. We've got the law school, uh, you know, which is doing fantastic. I think up to what? Uh, 58, 59, 58, 58 59, and climbing. Yeah. And so very, right. very impressive over there. And, you know, hopefully 20 years from now, we're talking about the uh, the ranking of the medical school. And, you know, hopefully that's in, uh, you know, we're, we're in the 50s or 60s. So it's... Uh, but you mentioned, you mentioned you have to evaluate a president on a bunch of different things, right? And there, there are. How good is he at raising money? But he also has to essentially run the place, make sure the trains run on time. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Tom Riley clearly thought uh, that he was not doing the latter very well. He has clearly, as many presidents do, cultivated good relations with donors. Some of them were coming uh, to, to his defense now. This creation of this chief operating officer uh, th that we've heard about, that's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to be a six-figure job. The question on that is, is this just a temporary solution or is this something that should have been done a long time ago because the job of running such a huge institution now with so many students, a medical school, a law school, a dental school, et cetera, he, this position should have been created a long time ago. Yeah, look, I mean, there's a good argument. And really, the president, it's their responsibility at the end of the day to look at their budget, to look at how they divide that pie up, to look at what type of administrative support they need. And if they think they're deficient in any area, it's their job to appeal to the chancellor and then the chancellor ultimately to the board. I mean, UNLV has wide latitude over its budget, and it's, uh, you know, it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And as we all know, right, you can take money from one area sometimes to another unless those are dedicated funds. So at the end of the day, you know, it's the president's responsibility to make sure that he has the resources uh, that he needs to succeed. And, uh, you know, in this position, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, how much discussion there's been uh, between uh, Tom Riley and Lynn Jessup. Uh, uh, I've certainly read the uh, the articles and the specific uh, duties. I don't know if the job description has been met. Sounds like Tom has some very uh, specific ideas. Uh, I've not discussed those ideas with him. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, the title uh, means nothing. Uh, the responsibilities of the title are, are what means everything. And whether this is shared, whether it's redistributed, the power, as you know, right, the chief academic officer is the provost. And, uh, you know, they're really supposed to be running the show at the university so that the president can uh, focus, uh, you know, on the external community. In that regard, I think Len's been very, very successful. I mean, he's developed uh, close relationships with the donor community, close relationships with the foundation members. It's no surprise to me that they've rallied uh, in his defense. Uh, they're not aware of the day-to-day -day operations, uh, perhaps as some of the regions are. That that being said, um, you know, in, in the areas of, uh, you know, fundraising, uh, building relationships uh, with donors, uh, you know, there's not a guy out there that doesn't like Len Jessup. And I think that's always been true. I'm going to hand it back over to Michelle in, in, in a second. But I, I guess what, I, what I'm wondering about here is most of the presidents of UNLV that I have known, and, and I've been here for, for, for 30 years or, or, or so, they, they manage to, to, to get those relationships with the donors uh, unless they have a terribly abrasive personality. Uh, I mean, they, 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 they cultivate them. Jessup seems to have done as good a job as any. But 
you're very gracious to have come on and to talk about this, Mr. Levitt. You're running for judge now. You're not a regent anymore. But let's let's be honest. You know what's going on over there. You still have a lot of friends over there, colleagues on the board of regents. Uh, you know Tom Riley. You 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 want this system and this university to be successful. I know you well enough to know that that's true. Do you think that Tom Riley and these regents have a right to be concerned about Len Jessup's performance? Look, I'm not going to tell anybody what their right is. I mean, if you're an elected official, you absolutely— you think they should have concerns? Well, they should always have concerns that the uh, president is succeeding. Um, uh, You know, uh, this is no secret. I've been a supporter of Len's. I was a supporter of his uh, uh, for two out of uh, the three years uh, that he's been president at UNLV. And uh, look, all of us, uh, you know, uh, even you and I uh, need improvement. Uh, And we can always— Wait a second. Well, look, I didn't include Michelle in that. uh, Fair uh, enough. No. So let's be clear about that. I exempted somebody. But look, uh, you know, you have to have thick skin, right? Running for office, you need thick skin. Being a president, you need thick skin. And certainly, uh, look, uh, I've said this uh, in my mind, uh, the most important figure outside of the governor in the state of Nevada is the president uh, of UNLV. I believe that. I think they have more influence. I think they have more impact. We have a legislature uh, uh, that meets infrequently, uh, meaning uh, not every year. So, uh, look, uh, you can do so much. Uh, the ability to transform lives, uh, legacies, uh, uh, concepts, the the forum that you have, the power that you have. Uh, look, uh, what a dream job to be president uh, of UNLV. You know, USC doesn't need any help, right? UCLA doesn't need any help. But to be part of this uh, enterprise, uh, you know, the sort of the UNLV experiment, like I like to look at. I mean, there was no medical school. 20 years ago, there was no uh, dental school. There was no law school. So we're building something. And uh, look, we've got imperfect people, uh, but imperfect people that, that all share the same dream. Uh, and that's to uh, you know make a little bit of a difference here and uh, diversify the economy. But at the end of the day, right, it's all about inspiring students who can then go on, right, to become presidents and rulers and magistrates and contributing members of society, right? So it's pretty neat. I mean, that's the American story, right? So we've got this medical school building. Uh, you know, the legislature put up $25 million. An anonymous donor put up another twenty-five, and then the Engelstads put up that fourteen million dollars that right. was was revoked. Um, you know, President Jessup said a couple months ago that that a lot of donations were going to be coming through. That was five months ago um, that, that the sudden burst of donors was going to come through. Uh, you know, to our knowledge, it it hasn't come through yet. Are you concerned about the pace of the fundraising and whether that's going to affect the? overall scope of the project. Look, uh, you know, it doesn't matter when you get the money, right? I, I mean, this week's good, last week's better. So, you know, you look at the 50 million right there and, you know, add the Engelstat, 64, right? You know, the current price, 232. Uh, higher ed right now is going up about 8% a year. So if we wait another year, add 8% to the 232, things don't go down typically. You know, so look, uh, you know, folks on the board, uh, you know, they've uh, they've expressed some concerns about what they view as uh, uh, maybe slower funds. Fundraising, but I, but I think part of it is that uh, there were a lot of uh, promises made. There were a lot of pledges made. Uh, there were a lot of folks that said, you know what, uh, you know what, uh, majority leader, uh, you know what, assistant minority leader, uh, we don't need any capital funding for the UNLV building, right? We don't need any. We'll do it ourselves. Fund us operationally, right? We'll do the rest of the fundraising. Well, what what building other than the UNLV Medical School hasn't had a co- capital contribution? Right? I mean, shame on the legislature, right? There should have been an ask for capital money, right? There was even uh, a former president that said, wait, we'll even kick in some of the operational money. You can't get donors to contribute operational money. They want bricks and buildings and objects, right? They want to see results, you know. So I think we go back to the legislature. You know, 50 million is substantial. Let's not ignore. I mean, this anonymous gift of 25 million matched. You know, you're almost halfway there, right? I mean, that's substantial. But again, uh, because of political reality, uh, political pressures, there was there there was uh, basically a deal not cut, right? A deal not cut to have capital money, right? We just the legislature just funded uh, the UNR, uh, uh, you know, engineering building, and there's capital money. Is that more important than the medical school in Las Vegas? I don't think so. It's important, but it's not more important. Yeah, what message do you have to lawmakers? Are are they 
putting too much stock in philanthropy and not stepping up. Look, look, you, you need both, need right? You need both. And but but I think uh, when you look at the economic impact, uh, you know, we look at the Trip Unback report, we look at the Chamber of Commerce report. I, I mean. We're getting such a, an incredible ROI, right, uh, in terms of a medical school and then what it does for the economy, saving lives. Obviously, we need more, uh, you know, residency programs. But, but you know, look, I, you know, I think there's I think there's a responsibility. Uh, you, you know, it's got to be a little bit of both. I mean, I think the legislature should kick in uh, a little bit more money. I think this legislative session, uh, you know, would be upcoming, you know, a year away from now. But I think it'd be, you know, put us over the top, right? You know, put some money towards it. Let's get this building. You know, it's been designed, but let's get shovels in the ground. You know, the economy is doing pretty well. Um, we're not in a recession. I, I saw that in the history of the medical school, recessions have played a role in kind of slowing things down. Um, I mean, if the money's not coming through now, then what's what are we waiting for? What what needs to happen? Uh, are, are there issues? Are, are there a lack of confidence that the donors have right now? What advice would you Yeah, give? look, I mean, I can't speak for donors in the general sense of the word. Certainly, we're aware of what's happened here the last couple of weeks, which has been uh, unfortunate. But again, uh, the donors in particular to the medical school, these are uh, very uh, passionate folks uh, that absolutely believe in the mission of the medical school. Uh, they're going to support it. Uh, they will come back. Uh, I think you can take that to the bank. Now, certainly, uh, they have every right to make their wishes known. And certainly, uh, there's always tension between uh, donors and uh, gifts and restrictions. And, uh, you know, I think those are appropriate. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, those, uh, you know, in a perfect world are, you know, reviewed by legal. Uh, but that being said, um, you know, I, 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 I think the time is now, but, uh, but, but I don't think we've run out of time. And I think, uh, I think uh, individual regions perhaps maybe should have been a little bit more patient. On the other hand, uh, you know, promises were made uh, that this was not going to be a challenge. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, those promises were well-meaning, right? The folks that made those uh, meant it. They thought that. And, uh, you know, perhaps... Uh, 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 money hasn't been raised as, as aggressively as some have hoped, but but I'm very, very optimistic. I mean, you know, when you're uh, 25% of the way there after, you know, really a relatively short period of time, and everybody wants something now, uh, and things don't happen now, and relationships take years to craft and to cultivate, and, uh, you know, and I think that's, uh, and I think really what the donor community and, and what the foundation is saying is, this is a guy that we trust, Len Jessup. We've developed relationships with him. We've spent time with him, and uh, you know we want to ride. Uh, we want to ride uh, ride on his back, and uh, you know. So I think uh, large part that's uh, Len's legacy. I mean, uh, he's uh, in spite of uh, some criticism, you know, from the current board. Uh, he's uh, very, very well respected uh, in the community. He's uh, respected amongst uh, uh, his cabinet and uh, and really the entire uh, UNLV community. We only have a few minutes left, and so l let me ask you a couple broader questions. First of all, this I guess maybe, you know, uh, judicial candidates and regents and lawyers are not as good at math as journalists, too, because you keep saying you're a quarter of the way there. This thing's going to cost more than $250 million. Well, 232 is the well, current price well, tag. Well, but, but it's not going to be built tomorrow. Well, and, fair enough. So add 8% and, 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 to that. Was, was, so 20%. Okay. 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 So, so Sure. So, so let's say it's 232 Well, I was million. adding that the— wasn't, uh, That wasn't the original estimate, was it? Well, you, you know what? Uh, there's some confusion about that because uh, there were some early designs of the building that really sort of had a Model A. A, Model B, Model C, Model A was the Cadillac, right? And uh, and this figure we're talking about right now does not include a cadaver lab. And uh, you know certainly uh, you know the new frontier is is doing these simulated uh, sort of autopsies and things like that. But uh, most traditional uh, medical schools are still uh, still using uh, cadavers, and so there's a little bit of a. Debate. Well, we don't know how much it's going to cost. I guess is what I'm asking. And even well, we're more close. So, I think that's a legitimate. You mentioned figure. the law school. You mentioned the law school, and and the law school has gotten fantastic reviews. Law school's gotten fantastic reviews, not because it's in beautiful buildings, but because of the kind of staff, faculty that the deans over there, and I use plural now because there's, an, uh, there's a relatively new one there, yep. have been able to attract. How do you get, that's what's really going to make this medical school, right? Not some nice buildings. Of course, you need the buildings, but attracting high quality faculty. Can we get those now? Well, I, th I think you have to. Right? Do and, we have a chance of getting them? Well, of course with all you do. This? Of course you do. Right? I, I mean, it looks as a temporary blip. Right? Everyone reads the internet. I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's probably thank goodness uh, for us <laughs> with China and India. There's billions of people listening to this right now. So maybe this will. I, I think lead, you're probably right. Lead to an infusion. Our, our, of, uh, our translation of the Chinese is big. You right. See right, how I sound. Right. Right. Family. Yeah. And I only know Cantonese, so that leaves out <laughs> okay, the whole, right. uh, whole Mandarin portion of China. <laughs> but look, uh, come on. I, I mean, if nothing else, this has energized the community. Uh, and, and really, I think uh, it's infuriated. 
some people. Well, yeah, of course, it's infuriated some people. And look, yeah, those people are now going to get motivated, right? And whether it's a, uh, whether it's a recall motivation, whether it's a fundraising motivation. <laughs> yeah. But look, the med school is such a great story. It's young. It's new. Uh, as you know, uh, we transitioned a lot of the UNR faculty uh, over to the UNLV School of Medicine. Most of them were given opportunities to come over. Lots of folks uh, that had lives here and homes here obviously didn't want to relocate up to Reno. So, you know, you, you, look, you look at UNLV, right? You build a great university, one program at a time. We're doing well with the hotel college. We're doing well with the law school, dental schools, uh, you know, up and coming. And so, you know, you have to really, you know, you, you can't sit here and say, well, how does UNLV? You really have to look at it program by program. A couple of minutes. So let me, let me just give you a, a chance to address this. You and I have been around a long time. When I first came here in the mid-80s, uh, it was, okay, they brought in this guy, Bob Maxson, to turn this into a great academic institution. It's just been known for running rebels. Immediately clashed with Jerry Tarkanian. Big war in the community. It divided uh, the, the community. This is right before you got here, I think. Uh, and, and then you've had these convulsions. They occur. It's like Groundhog Day, right? Where the, the, the donors say, what the heck are the regents doing? Or, or we need a new chancellor. Get a new chancellor. The chancellor's not doing the job. And there's, there's these all written up. It was just written up again in a higher ed publication. What are you doing get, tying a donation to a contract for the president? People who want, who want, who might think of coming to UNLV read this stuff over the years and are thinking, what? This is crazy. Why would I ever want to come here? You've seen this cycle. How do we stop that cycle? Look, it's just one person at a time. It's one president at a time. It's one faculty member at a time. I mean, if you come to UNLV, uh, you've got to have passion. You've got to have a desire to make it a better place. I mean, if you're deterred, uh, you know, by a little bit of unfair criticism. A little bit. Well, look, I, I mean, as you said, you know, it comes and goes, right? You know, the board's done some fantastic things over the years. The law, the law school is a tremendous achievement. The, There's no the, doubt about the it. The law school is a tremendous achievement. The medical school is a tremendous achievement. Yeah, there's going to be blips along the way, right? There's scandals at Harvard, right? There's scandals at Princeton, right? There's plagiarism, right? There's money that gets missing. I mean, right? These are imperfect Our scandals people. are as good as the Ivy League. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> look, yeah, they have nothing on us. But so so at the end of the day, sure. You, you know, look, you, you can choose to be uh, jaded by our political process, by our university process, or you can say, look, there's problems. Uh, I can contribute to fixing them. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, look, anger is a, a fantastic emotion if it gets you fired up if it gets you uh, more focused, uh, you know, laser driven. So uh, look, the folks that are concerned right now, and whether it's uh, members of the board, whether it's foundation members, I will say I've worked with all of them for a number of years. Uh, I've not met one uh, one of these individuals that's uh, not well-meaning, uh, that isn't uh, trying to make a difference. And uh, look, uh, uh, sometimes uh, people fall short of the glory, but, uh, but I'm optimistic. Uh, uh, people uh, are resilient. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, everybody uh, wants to be the best they can be. And if they work together, uh, we're going to have a fantastic university system. But these things take decades. James Dean Levitt, we are recording this on a very rainy Thursday in Las Vegas, but your sunshine is filling up this room. Thanks for your rays of optimism, taking the time to come on the Indie Matters podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Michelle, for asking those great questions. Appreciate uh, you being here. And when we come back, Elizabeth Thompson and I will talk about this and other topics. Stick around. Welcome back to Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent. I'm joined now by Elizabeth Thompson, the managing editor and the person who really runs the Nevada Independent. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. That's Is that true? I guess it's... Now you work pretty hard. I work really hard, but we want the outside uh, uh, world to believe this. So let's that you sit around with a right. a cap and a scotch all day. And scotch all day. Oh boy, could I use a scotch now? Having said that, <laughs> uh, let's let's talk about the subject we were just uh, discussing with James Dean Levitt, who danced around some things, but you could hear between the lines if there is su such a thing that he's that he's worried. Uh, you you you've lived. A bunch of different places. Uh, you've 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 been in university communities. Uh, is what's going on here? Do you think normal? It's not normal. And while you know most universities have had at least one scandal in their day, as he tried to point out, I, I don't think this is a matter of equivalency between uh, universities. This you made a great point. This is a pattern. I've been here for twenty years. 
You've been here longer. I've got friends who have been here even longer than you. And we have a problem in the university system and I think at UNLV in particular. And it's just the same old, same old, right? Everything blows up. People are unhappy. Finger pointing starts blown budgets, you know, abdicated responsibility. And this Jessup thing is quite amazing. It's, it's got some extra angles to it that we haven't seen before. What do you uh, think is most amazing about it? You know, it's just, it's stunning to me that, I mean, as a journalist, that frankly, we so easily obtained the information that there had been deals cut, that don't, that huge donations to this medical school were tied to his continued employment at the university is just stunning in and of itself. I continue to feel stunned about it. Anyone who's poo-pooing that, I'm not sure they're, you know, looking at it through a, a prism of ethics as I am on behalf of this community. Something like that should never happen, in my opinion. Donors should be committed to the cause and to the mission, of course, your trust and your faith in the executive overseeing that effort, whatever it is, is going to have some bearing on your confidence. But to entirely yank back a project-stopping donation because your man, you know, might not be the man anymore, I, I, that that raises eyebrows for me. Well, let me play a devil's advocate here because I happen to think it's it, it, it's somewhat insane too and in, in, in so Nevada that this happened in a sub-Rosa way. I, I guess let's play devil's advocate. The complaint here has always been, as I mentioned, you know, the regents, uh, you know, don't know what they're doing. We shouldn't have elected these people. We should appoint regents. A lot of them have no clue. And they're, they're hectoring a university president when really that's the chancellor's job. And so Len Jessup is, gets in this situation. He sees some significant percentage of the Regents going south on him. And so he says to this major donor, or maybe more than one major donor, look, I'm in trouble. You you have faith in me. You need to help me sign this contract. I'm not saying that's what happened, Elizabeth, but can we see it from his perspective? Yeah, I can, for sure. I mean, from a human perspective, especially if he believes he's in the right, if he believes he is doing a good job, if he believes he needs more time, uh, you know, if if some of the criticisms that have been levied, he he rejects and he believes that in his own mind, then uh, yes, it's absolutely understandable uh, that he would do some things to try to ensure that he could see it through. I mean, if we to give him the benefit of the doubt, uh, one would hope that that's why he did it, that he, he just wanted to see it through. He was worried about what he may see as a bunch of flaky trustees. Uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't like doing that. I'd love to have him sitting here talking this through with us, actually, because I'm curious he about hasn't said a, word. Uh, a bunch of things. And, and he's being tight-lipped right now. I'm sure he's getting advice to remain tight-lipped, probably, because I think there is an ethical and, as we wrote about, possibly a legal issue here. And so he isn't really free to speak. But at some point, I'd love to know the whole story. And I, and I always want to hear everyone's side in a situation uh, like this, because you never get the whole truth from just one one source. But we talked to multiple sources as we wrote that first story and the, and the stories uh, since. So I, I think I think we're pretty well sourced. But I, I would like it if President Jessup would be willing to speak up. Michelle, of course, has reached out to try to get him many times. She has uh, done a great job breaking stories. And this I want to tell our listeners, <clears throat> excuse me, before we move on to the next topic, that we're continuing to pursue many angles on this, what's going on at the medical school and what will happen uh, with Len Jessup and the legal issues that uh, Elizabeth alluded to. There's a potential violation of the state ethics law uh, with that contract. It was a busy week, uh, Elizabeth, and the other story that was capturing national attention uh, since you were last on this podcast was Danny Tarkanian, who was going to destroy D.C. Dean Heller, and he was the true Trump-loving guy. Didn't get much love from Trump, did he? Well, I mean, in a way he did, or that's how it was portrayed, right? Which was that President Trump said it would just be a great thing for unity in Nevada if Danny Tarkanian, instead of challenging Dean Heller would uh, run for Congress instead. And so he agreed to do that. I'd love to know what the conversation was that took place and who it took place between. But he made that 
switch just, what was it the day before filing? It was the last day of filing. Ended. It, was, it, was, it was less than a week ago. Uh, and, you know, we had suspected, right, though, I mean, we as journalists, we talk about these things when we when we hear little whispers. We, we knew that there was some polling being done by someone. Megan Messerly, uh, who's covering that race, uh, ferreted that out and immediately called Danny Tarkanian, who said, there's no way, no how, I'm getting out. And that was a couple of days before he... Got, got out. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but this is yet yeah, just, an, I mean, this is a spectacular move, though, for Dean Heller, who, despite what he might have said and tried to project an aura of strength, was very worried about having to spend a lot of money to fend off a guy who was very, very popular with the Republican base. And we had those poll numbers that I alluded to earlier that showed Heller's numbers are still not good, but he's only five points behind in a Democratic poll. I think he's got to be heartened by that. This is a big deal for Dean Heller. It's a big deal for Dean Heller to get Danny Tarkanian out of that primary for sure, because now he can focus all his attention on the general and figuring out how to beat Jackie Rosen, both in the money game, the fundraising game. He's got more in the bank than her, but she raised more than him last quarter. So there's definitely a horse race going on there. Um, makes his life a lot easier, makes his team's life a lot easier. I'm sure he's uh, feeling quite relieved about it. Uh, on the other hand, the Republicans who were running in that CD3 primary, not feeling so happy about the situation to have Danny Tarkanian in there because he definitely has by far the best chance to win based on name recognition, based on the money he's raised, based on the following that he brought with him already from all the campaigning he's been doing. He's already scared out somebody, uh, the race, Victoria Seaman, the former assemblywoman, just this morning, we're recording this on Thursday, as always, announced she's uh, getting out. He's a heavy favorite. He's won a primary there before against a much more formidable opponent than he's facing this time or any of the opponents. And Michael Roberson, who was very well funded, he beat Michael Roberson by, I believe, almost double digits. I think it was eight points. Uh, or, or so. So uh, the Danny Tarkanian's problem, really, Elizabeth, is not winning primaries. It's winning general elections. Yeah, and it's going to be a problem for him this time, too. I think Susie Lee, who's the presumed nominee on the other side of that ticket, mm. she is going to be tough. She's gotten some major endorsements. She's gotten some major money. The Democrats are all in for her in that race, for sure. Look, I want to say kudos to Miss Seaman for doing what I think was a smart thing. Uh, and any of these other candidates who stay in, I mean, more power to them if, if that's what they want to do. But he's Tarkanian's going to be extremely tough to beat in this primary. One thing I find fascinating is that even though he has jumped ship and he's in this CD3 primary, he continues to go after Dean Heller in his media appearances. He said some scorching things in a radio interview recently that kind of blew my hair back. And I was surprised. So apparently keeping his trap shut about Dean Heller wasn't part of the deal that he made with President Trump and, and company on this. They forgot to tell him that that, that, that was part of the deal. He really doesn't like uh, Dean Heller and especially doesn't like his campaign consultants who he who he has attacked too, which is very, very unusual. But I agree with you with uh, this. There's there's almost a Shakespearean story here about Vicki Seaman, who was very close to both Tarkanians, especially Amy Tarkanian, and who essentially endorsed uh, Danny Tarkanian against Michael Roberson last time had Tarkanian support, at least tacitly this time, I think, by the way, uh, was the favorite to win that primary uh, in many ways. And suddenly to find out uh, that phone call, as Danny Tarkanian described it, was not was not a pleasant one. So I think Danny Tarkanian, I, I agree with you, is a heavy favorite now to win that primary, but probably an underdog in the general election, which is, again, history repeating itself. Uh, another only in Nevada story uh, this week, Elizabeth, uh, maybe not only in Nevada, but this story was so big that it, 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 both stories we've we've done on this uh, now have managed to crash our website, <laughs> yeah. uh, unless the Russian bots are, are, are as interested in us as, as they are in, in in the Democratic National Committee server. But <laughs> but this this is the story of Mark Amaday, the congressman from Northern Nevada, whose staffer was so upset that a high schooler during the student walkouts uh, called up and dropped an f bomb that he called the principal of the kid's school, and the principal thought it was a good idea to suspend him and take him off another committee. I, I, I believe this story that is now in its second iteration with our ace DC reporter Humberto Sanchez just today getting Amade to say that he believes that while everyone's complaining about the kids' First Amendment rights being violated, his staffer has First Amendment rights too. And welcome to the world of profanity, said the congressman who is often profane. This is some story. It sure is. Look, Mark Amade is a colorful character. He always has been. I'm not really surprised 
by this uh, from his perspective. He wasn't in the office when it happened. This is something that happened. He was in D.C. and his staffer apparently got irritated and called over to say his piece to the principal. And he, and Amade claims, look, the staffer didn't say suspend the kid. The staffer just said, you know, this kid called us up and we don't appreciate the language or something I'm to sure that effect. I'm sure that's what happened. One of the issues here, though, that's interesting to me is really not so much about the First Amendment. It's just about whether the school completely overstepped its bounds because this young man called from his home to make this comment, to tell these guys to get off their effing blanks uh, and do something on guns and school safety. And, you know, a worked up kid, upset. We're seeing kids get gunned down across the country. I think we can all sympathize with a teenager getting a little, you know, little smart alky on the phone. Uh, I'm not defending, you know, I wish all political discourse was more civil. So I'm not really defending uh, the kid's choice to use that word. But that's up to his parents to discipline him for and how he handled that situation, in my opinion. That's not for the school to say. And so I think the school, is, they may have a lawsuit on their hands that lasts way past when these headlines die down because there's a congressman involved. Do you, do you think that effing blanks is really civil discourse, Elizabeth? I mean, do you think sanitizing it to that point, you think you're saying effing blanks on the Indie Matters podcast is civil discourse? Oh, you're kidding, right? <laughs> <laughs> I am not smiling at all. You should have cameras in here. Of course I'm kidding. I, I, I just, I, 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 you, you, you and I have had this discussion before. I think civility is overrated, as does Mark Amaday. But what surprises me about this is not that Amaday stood up for his staffer. That, you know, that is actually a, a, a quality, a loyalty. I get that. He's not going to throw this guy under the bus, even though he's probably thinking, what the heck were you yeah. thinking? Mark Amaday, is, you say he's a colorful character. He, you know, especially in, in, in our congressional delegation, which is not that exciting at times. He is, <laughs> what? He, yes. He is, he is very colorful, but he's also very laid back and kind of a nonchalant guy and a kind of a live and let live guy. I'm surprised, not that he defended the staffer, but now that he's doubling down and saying he's not going to apologize. And, you know, this, you know, okay, some, some kid gets emotional and he drops an F-bomb during a, a very emotional time for a lot of high school kids after the Florida shooting. Let it go. Say, I'm sorry. In fact, I, as a congressman, I'm going to call the principal and say, listen, I hope you didn't suspend him because of this, because that was not my intention. That, that that's to me what I would have said. That's a Mark Amaday thing to do. Yeah, it would have been actually. and But it doesn't look like it's going in that direction, <laughs> at least right now. Um, and one of the things of many that's been pointed out this week by commenters on our site and on social media is that, you know, really, we're going to get upset at this kid for dropping, you know, an F-bomb when the president of the United States is on record using so many vulgar and profane terms in a context which is so much more shocking and inappropriate for a person who's supposed to be part of the civic fabric of this country that is mind-boggling. It's just a weird dichotomy, and there's it's kind of people are saying there's some hypocrisy going on here. Why are we worried about this kid? Nobody has the guts to speak up when the president does it, but surely we're not going to hold a high school you know, boy to a higher account than the president of the United States. It's a great point, and it's so true. Finally, we have had uh, Michelle, who was here earlier, covering pot for a long time, and she's done a great job covering a bunch of different angles. She found out that the attorney general and the governor both talked to this new U.S. attorney who is, we don't know whether she is going to crack down on the pot businesses here or not. And then Humberto Sanchez, who I mentioned earlier, managed to find out that Catherine Cortez Masto, the U.S. senator, actually talked to the U.S. attorney and urged her, essentially, you know, stay out of our state. You know, don't, don't crack down on our, our pot businesses. Uh, what do you make of all this? Really interesting that, that Senator Catherine Cortez Masto was the first one to speak publicly about a conversation. Now, I suspect that Governor Sandoval probably already talked to our new, new U.S. attorney and possibly our attorney general, Adam Laxalt, as well. But they wouldn't say a peep about it when we asked them. So she's the first one who said, yeah, I talked to her. And, and here's kind of what I said. She was she didn't characterize it as a butt out conversation. But, I, you know, she's look, we're bringing in tons of revenue. It's the law. 
uh, it passed on the ballot. It's here. It's happening. It's real. So uh, very, you know, and I'm sure she probably invoked that, you know, that Cole memo. And they talked a little bit about that. But yeah, really interesting that this is the first time we've gotten any clue of any details of any conversations with this new U.S. attorney. So uh, whether that will dissuade this new U.S. attorney from doing whatever it is Jeff Sessions has up his sleeve is yet to be seen. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because in case people don't know, this new U.S. attorney is not part of the, the political fabric of Nevada as others have been. She came from Texas. Seems a very unusual thing that, 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 that Dean Heller had nothing to do with. He was probably surprised by this as well. So sure, her loyalty, no matter what she might have said to Lax, Salter, Sandoval, and what she said to Catherine Cortez Masto, her loyalty is going to be purely to Jeff Sessions uh, and, and has no, no, no ties at all to the community here. I wonder if that's true. I'd love to know. Uh, you know, we're we're having an event on Monday night. It's an indie forum, our first indie forum called State of Pot. Uh, we're going to talk all about marijuana policy and laws on a federal, state, and local level. We've got some outstanding panelists, including a former U.S. attorney, and not just that, an attorney who's worked for the attorney, uh, the Department of Justice, excuse me, as well as the attorney who helped get recreational pot passed in uh, Colorado. I could go on and on. The panels are outstanding. But I would have loved to have our sitting U.S. attorney. We tried. We tried <laughs> to get her because I'd love to find out what is in her mind. It, it you know, is she is there a is there a plot afoot on a federal level to try to tamp down or do the dispensaries need to be worried uh, about getting shut down or getting busted or there being a rage? These are questions they all have. And those are questions that will be asked uh, and answered Monday night at our, our forum uh, right here on the UNLV campus at the ballroom. I'm sorry to tell our listeners that the seats are full. We are completely booked. Not another seat can be given out. So you missed it if you uh, didn't get on the list. But I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great conversation. Yeah. And it's, it's the first of, as Elizabeth mentioned, our indie forums in which we're going to have these kinds of discussions on pressing issues. And both of us are, are thrilled uh, at, at the quality of panelists we were, we were able to, to get, are we not? We are. And we got some uh, outstanding sponsors as well. There's 11 of them and I don't have them memorized, so I don't dare try to rattle them off lest I forget someone. But if you go to the events page on the Nevada Independent website, you could read more about the event and you'll see the full list of sponsors right there as well as upcoming uh, events. And we'll be uh, announcing more of those soon. And we're going to hope to do one of these uh, every month. Uh, Elizabeth and I are committed to this. If we can stay alive uh, long <laughs> enough to do it, these things Amen. take a lot of work. And uh, Elizabeth has done a fantastic job of uh, getting this one on. Thanks for coming. Uh, today. Appreciate it. Always good to be here. All right. A reminder to everybody, this podcast uh, will uh, air on KUNV, the university's radio station, 91.5, the source at 80, 8.30 p.m. every Thursday. And we're going to continue to do as much as we can here uh, with UNLV as we are with the state of pod. It's all the time we have for this edition of the Indie Matters podcast. We want to know what you think. If you have ideas, criticism, or even praise, Email us at ideas at the com. You know what else you can send there? Give us some ideas for indie forums if you have uh, some. What topics do you want to hear more about? We'd be happy to listen to your suggestions. And check out the site if you haven't already, the nevadaindependent.com. You can rate this podcast on iTunes and subscribe and tell us how wonderful we are uh, in your, in your uh, ratings. You can also find us on Google Play, I hope, by now. And I'm going to try to get us on Stitcher soon, I promise. Elizabeth. I want to thank James Dean Levitt again for being here. And I, as always, want to thank our wonderful hosts here at KUNV on the campus of UNLV. And as always, many, many thanks to Joey Lovato, our fantastic producer up north, who makes us all sound podcast smooth. I think Elizabeth does this better than anyone who has been on the podcast. She is so smooth. I'm John Ralston, not so smooth, but thanking you anyhow for listening to Indie Matters. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.